Another week of turmoil in the United States. We'll be talking about it in great detail after the latest ABC News. And also coming up in this half hour, or in this hour of the show in about 25 minutes or so, David Kilby will be with us with a quirk of the dead. But quirk, all quirk this morning. But before we get to any of that, let's find out what else is happening in Boston, amongst other places. Uh, Celeste Katz is our Boston correspondent. Uh, Celeste, good morning. Welcome back to the program. Good morning. Before we head on to parts outside Boston, um, look, there have been statues knocked over, knocked down, uh, and that's even happened in Boston, although it was a statue of Christopher Columbus was decapitated. What happened? What's the story there? Yeah, this is a statue that's actually had some interest in it before in terms of protests. It's been spray painted. It's been vandalized in other ways. But uh, it is a sort of a famous, a notable statue here in Boston. Uh, it's located in the north end of town, which is traditionally a really vibrant, uh, longstanding uh, Italian-American neighborhood. And so the statue lost his head. And uh, people are are chattering about this. And there's been a question of should the statue be repaired again or should it be shelved? And as of just today, they've actually taken it uh, away with a crane and they've put it in storage. So uh, Christopher Columbus lost his head and is now on the shelf. Mm-hmm. You know, in New York, where you, of course you lived and you still consider yourself a New Yorker, you've got Columbus Circle. There is a really major intersectional part of the town with a great big statue of Christopher Columbus. What's going to happen to that, do you think? This is part of a bigger conversation that's happening in the United States. It's happening in a couple of different ways. One is the sort of founding fathers group of of statues and monuments and so on. But this is also extended out to a lot of military monuments and memorials, specifically those involving the Confederate army and confederate generals people who fought against the union the united states uh, at the time because they supported the continuation of slavery and so on seceded from the union and a lot of those monuments are really seen as this sort of lingering uh sign or, uh, you know, sort of glorification of people who supported slavery, who opposed abolition. And a lot of those monuments have been uh, the subject of protests, some of vandalization, and some of them have been taken down. So Christopher Columbus, obviously a different a different time period, but sort of in this pantheon of, of statues and memorials and monuments that people say, are representing something that no longer should be glorified in American society. I certainly understand that. I understand the certainly Columbus. I understand, you know, Robert E. Lee. They're talking about taking a statue of him down. Jefferson Davis. They've taken the statue of him down, and it was knocked down. Uh, he was the president of the Confederacy. I mean, the Confederate states were states that broke away from the Union and rose up in rebellion against the United States. And yet, people are defending those the statues of those leaders. I I don't. And then the the Confederate flag. I understand it's this flag that represents the South, but it represents a South that a lot of people are extremely uncomfortable with. I I can't believe that people still do this, or are they just trying to kind of put two fingers up at the rest of the country? Do you think? 
I think that the people who defend these monuments or symbols like the Confederate battle flag are saying, look, whether you like it or not, this is part of American history. Some people are saying, look, this is our heritage. Our, our forefathers fought for the Confederate army, regardless of how we feel about it today. And other people are saying, look, why would you want to memorialize and have people walk past a statue every day of somebody like Jefferson Davis, somebody who was a, a secessionist, who was essentially a traitor, to the union exactly. who who wanted to not be part of the United States. Like, why are we why are we glorifying somebody like that or somebody like Robert E. Lee, a general in the Confederate Army? Uh, you know, some of these people were slave owners and and so on or responsible in Christopher Columbus's case, obviously, again, different time period. But, you know, he is seen as a sort of uh, founding father of American genocide. And things like that. And people are just saying, look, it's part of our history, but it's not something we need to celebrate in the public square. Although the District of Columbia is named after Christopher Columbus. What's going to happen there? I mean, this is the thing also that this is a long discussion that I may be having with a guest in the next hour as well. But, you know, Washington, Jefferson, they were slave owners. What happens to them? I mean, because they've been tearing down statues of slave owners in Britain and uh, slave traders in particular. What difference is there between these people and Washington or Jefferson who have memorials and everything in the US named after them? Cities, schools, towns, whatever. It's a real question about how far it should go and how far it can go. Is it reasonable to rename anything that had to do with even, say, the Confederacy? And then can you rename everything that had to do with Washington or uh, Jefferson or anything that had to do with uh, the early founders of the United States uh, is that practical? Is it correct to sort of remove that part of American history? Is there a balancing act or is there something to be weighed about their contributions to uh, to our nation, to our existence versus uh, obviously, you know, some really serious concerns, to put it mildly, uh, about uh, how they conducted themselves and the beliefs that they held? And this is not only endemic, obviously, to the United States. You know, you've seen protests about uh, statues of Winston Churchill, for example. Yes. It was Winston Churchill, a racist, um, a segregationist, and so on. Is he somebody who is still a towering world figure, or is he somebody who needs to be sort of put in a museum, so mm. to speak? And again, not glorified in this very public way. I don't have the answer to these questions, but uh, when you see things like, statues of Columbus and so on uh, being uh, being damaged and then being removed, you know, that goes to show sort of the passion that goes along with it, especially at this time in the United States where we are at a, a very, very big flashpoint about race relations and social justice. I mean, there's got to be a balance at some point. I mean, if you help win World War Two, then that might, who knows, does that outbalance or outweigh um, you know, something else that you might have said at some point or something you might have believed. Other people are saying also uh, that it's time to rename some forts, uh, you know, or military bases that are named after Confederate um, military. President Trump has pretty much dismissed that immediately, didn't he? 
Yeah, that's that's another thing that's come up again in this same vein about having major military bases that are very well known in the United States, places like Fort Bragg or Fort Pickett uh, that are uh, named for people who were Confederate generals, Confederate military officials, uh, again, people who support Robert E. Lee, uh, obviously very, very famous general uh, in the Confederate Army. And the uh, the Pentagon had said at least, at the very least, they were willing to have a conversation about that. The military, uh, unlike other parts of American society, was integrated or somewhat integrated a lot earlier on than, say, uh, a lunch counter or schools and so on. So uh, the military has been willing to have that conversation and the president just absolutely stepped on it via his favorite platform, Twitter, and said, respect our military. We are not even going to countenance the idea of renaming uh, these quote unquote magnificent and fabled military installations. I mean, a good way of respecting the military perhaps is not to name forts or military installations after people who rose up against the nation. But, you know, that's just my way of looking at it. Um, maybe he'd said that. He also described the US as the greatest nation in the world. And, you know, I'm sure he believes that. But, you know, there's a lot of other countries in the world might uh, put their hand up for that rate. But anyway, um, now, speaking of which, Minneapolis. This was, was the kind of the absolute spark of what has happened in the last couple of weeks. The uh, police chief has spoken, um, and this is what he had to say. Now, I also recognize that parts of this department were broken, and I brought attention to that several years ago. But I did not abandon this department then, and I will not abandon this department now. History is being written now, and I'm determined to make sure that we are on the right side of history. Well, that is the police chief, Arradondo. Uh, who um, this was in response to people saying that they should defund the police. Now, defunding the police has really got a lot of traction in the last couple of weeks as well. It doesn't mean give the police no money. It just means give them, you know, less to do perhaps. What's happening with the whole defund the police theory? It's a big conversation about how that's actually going to work on the face of it. Of course, you look at this and you say, we can't have no police. That doesn't make sense. Do you just sort of stop paying them and fire all the police and everybody fend for themselves? But I guess that's not really, uh, you know, if you get down in it, that's not exactly what people are talking about or advocating. They're not saying no police. They're essentially saying not police the way we have police departments today or uh, not having uh, police departments have the capacity to buy military-grade weapons or tanks or Humvees or or this kind of thing. At the same time, it's a question of how much money is going to the police department ostensibly both for uh, money that could be used elsewhere and also for services that the police shouldn't have to provide. And if you look at some of that, some of it sounds like, uh, you know, on the face of it, it makes sense. A good example that I saw recently was uh, police dealing with the homeless. Okay, so if there's a, a group of homeless people who are congregating or camped out uh, or living on the street in a certain area, somebody says, you know, this is a problem, call the police. Okay, so what can the police do about that, right? They can arrest those people and have them locked up. They can tell them to move on, to stop loitering, or they can, you know, 
threatened to charge them with loitering, trespassing, uh, blocking a public street, interfering with business and so on. But can the cops fix that problem? Do they, is it their job to fix their problem? Can they take a homeless person and say, you need mental health services, you need treatment for drug addiction, you need um, job training, or you need a place to live, which would be sort of the fundamental issue there. Um, the police in the United States, and I think a lot of places, are asked to do pretty much everything. If you have a problem, you call a cop. And I think that part of the issue of, quote unquote, defunding the police has ended up being a discussion that's an important one about what should the police reasonably have as their role in society and how is money spent to accomplish those ends? The police cannot do everything. And uh, at least, again, one thing that I was reading about that gave me some pause was that we empower police to do a great many things, but we give them a limited amount of tools. If you put a police officer out on the street, what does he have to solve the problems of society? A gun, a pair of handcuffs, maybe a taser. Um, he can refer people to social service agencies or he can have a discussion about uh, community relations. But the the tools that we give police to deal with a lot of problems are just not up to the task. And they are asked to deal with tons of stuff that really might be better accomplished by another agency or by another group. I think with mental health, that's a huge problem as well. And the number of people that obviously have mental health problems who we see being shot dead in the street by police or shot anyway or or badly injured that happens all the time, I'm sorry to say, and you would have to think it might be better if those people were dealt with by someone who would not the police, not someone with a weapon in their hand. Right. There's, there's an issue there about who, again, who is equipped, who has the knowledge, who has the resources, uh, and who has the time to deal with those problems in an effective way. Police can clear a street. That doesn't mean they have the ability to solve all the problems that led to a disturbance or that has contributed to a social problem, whether it's uh, mental health issues, drug addiction, uh, or uh, juvenile delinquency. Police can arrest people. They can't fix people. And, uh, you know, maybe that sounds like an apology for the police department. Nobody, nobody, certainly not me, nobody is apologizing for police officers who engage in brutality, who uh, essentially terrorize people or who treat people differently based on where they live or what they look like or what language they speak. Nobody says that that's right. And that's what a lot of the protests are about. The question is, if you're talking about the larger issue of defund the police, I think it's important to break that down and see how you can do that in a meaningful way if you want to do it at all. Indeed. Meanwhile, there are other problems in Boston. And you might hear that and think, oh, that's gunfire, there's violence. But in fact, it's not. It's fireworks. And so there's a couple of problems there. One is people hear that and think that there's some sort of violence or, or gun, um, gun, you know, gunfire going off. But also, there's too much fireworks in Boston. Now, this seems unbelievable. I mean, in Australia, they're kind of banned except when they're done by the government or so on Australia Day or something like that. It's very unusual to have fireworks. You used to be able to buy them in the shops. You can't do that anymore because... You know, all sorts of terrible things were happening and kids were getting injured and people were having their hands blown off and all sorts of stuff. What's the story with fireworks in Boston? 
basically what the sound you just played is my life. Oh, really? <laughs> it, is, it is just constant, constant. Now, I understand that typically, and, and you know, again, I've just moved to Boston recently from New York, uh, where I've been living for about 20 years, where I'm from originally and so on. But apparently in Boston, fireworks in the run-up to July 4th, Independence Day, is uh, an issue, is a kind of a thing, but it's really, really gotten out of hand. And it would be annoying and sort of silly for a lot of reasons anyway. You know, fireworks, you can actually cause fire, you can hurt people, people get hurt setting them off and so on. But especially now, considering what we've just gone through and what we've been going through here with protests that have gotten out of hand, police uh people shooting fireworks off at the police or at other people or to get attention during major protests um, has been an issue. Also, we've had we've had protests that went from very peaceful in here in Boston to turning sort of chaotic and violent. And so you hear fireworks going off. Is it is it fireworks? Is it thunder? Is it tear gas canisters? Because we've had some looting here just a few blocks from my house. We have had violence and looting here in Boston. Uh, is it people breaking windows? Is it car backfiring? Just sort of that level of uncertainty. It sounds ridiculous maybe to say like, oh, fireworks are bothering me. But it's scary. It's scary to hear those noises consistently uh, yeah. at a very, at a very uh, you know, sort of, worrisome time yes, uh, in our lives here. But not yeah. only that, but every time where there is some gunshot and people aren't expecting it, they always say, oh, I thought it was a firecracker going off. That's the first thing people always say. So it's not unusual. It's not um, inconceivable. But when you hear it, you think that it might be a gun going off. And, and also, you've got to keep in mind, those poor animals, dogs, have it's a hearing that is four times more sensitive than human beings. They hate fireworks and... You know, you've got once a year, maybe you think, okay, you can prepare the dog or you prepare your animals for it. But if it's happening all the time, they just don't know what to do. The poor things. Yeah, it's really a shame. And I have a dog, and it is, it is scary. It's startling, and also, it's speaking of the police a little bit earlier. If every time people hear fireworks, they're calling to complain, or they're calling because they're frightened, they think it might be a gunshot or it might be some unrest. Everybody is really on edge in a lot of major cities in the United States, uh, and this is just a problem we don't need. Yeah. And it's it's just sort of preposterous that that it's been going on. Uh, you know, every night till late mm. in the night. It's just, if you guys are listening, stop with the fireworks. Alrighty. Now, just before we go, we should uh, point out that the US has uh, gone past 2 million confirmed coronavirus cases, probably twice as many that people didn't realise. Um, and 113,000 people have died with possibly 290,000, somewhere between 130 and 290,000 when this all plays out. Are people just bored with this, though, or at least they've become immune to it, quite literally? Not immune to coronavirus, but immune to the stories about it? I think that it's really sad that, unfortunately, uh, watching local news or reading local news, you might say to yourself, hey, look, there's a, you know, there's something else on, on the news besides the death toll. The daily death toll has become a segment on the news. It is not necessarily the first headline. There's a lot of other stuff going on. So, I mean, is it becoming part of our 
our collective consciousness? Is it just another story that we see uh, floating around? People are still going around wearing masks. Not all businesses are open. People are still working from home. We still don't have a vaccine. Uh, people are still trying to figure out testing. So uh, we're, we're at this sort of weird point where it's become part of our lives and we think the worst might be over, but now they are forecasting another surge in the United States uh, coming up this fall. And so it's just something that that we continue to deal with. I think people want to get it off the front page. People want to stop worrying about it because it is terrifying in some respects uh, to not be able to and it's sad to not be able to see your family, to not uh, go to uh, a restaurant or walk around in a park without wearing a bunch of cloth over your mouth and nose. But it's it's something that uh, something that won't go away just yet, either in the news or or in yeah. reality. But you can't wish it away. That's the problem. I mean, yes, we'd all like it to go away. We'd all like a vaccine. We'd all like to be able to have our lives go back to uh, what they used to be like. That's just can't, it's not going to happen just yet. And not only that, pretending it's not happening is making it worse. I mean, there will be a spike or, you know, a second wave at some point, and that will happen because people are just getting out in the streets and trying to get about their normal life. I don't think this is going to be solved until we have a vaccine, until we have a, a therapeutic, like an actual treatment, something you can take for it to get well. And, uh, you know, the number of people who are dying from it is down, which is good, but people are still recovering. And you look at this and you say, wow, all these people are recovering. This is great. But I've spoken to people, I've done interviews for WBAI in New York, which is my uh, home radio station where I've been doing a series on COVID. And people are explaining to me that just because you quote unquote recover doesn't mean you're well again. Yeah. People are going through excruciating pain, rehabilitation. It's, it's something that has a lingering effect whether or not it's on the front page every day. All right. Stay well, Celeste. Stay away from those fireworks and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks time. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much, Celeste Katz in Boston.